Well, I want to introduce our guest tonight. She was here last week, and it was over 100 viewers. If you have questions for Deb, now's the time to get them in. Uh, Deborah Wonderly, she visited, of course, with us last year, had an exciting time. And friends, she's a life coach, that is a profession, and there's been studies on it. And they are able to help people to live a better life, uh, dealing with issues and problems. And that is what she does as a professional. And so we want to talk about that part of being a life coach and what she does. And they offer help, again, in many areas, maybe irritability, persistent issues, high stress, sexual addiction, all of that they're able to work with and help you to uh, those issues. In fact, I read a clip by Kathy Wong, who was very appreciative of those people doing that work. So we have Deb Wonderly here tonight as a life coach and want to begin our questions. And again, if you have comments, now's the time. This is an exciting subject we want to work with. She's a counselor in this field, and it's so wonderful to have her here. Deb, hello tonight. Good to see you. Hello. Thanks for having me again. Tell us about life coaches, what they do, and uh, how you're able to help people in certain areas, and how we can contact you if wants to hire you as a life coach. What are the steps to do that? Sure. Thank you. Uh, well, really briefly, um, life coach is a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, like a therapist, except um, I'm a peer mentor. So I um, get to share a little bit more about my story and I'm um, able to walk alongside a person in a little bit of a different way than a therapist. I don't diagnose or prescribe anything. I reflect things back, ask questions, um, offer some psychoeducation or guidance um, and just, just kind of am a hand to hold on the recovery journey. I'm with Hope House and I don't have that number handy or, or <laughs> it's at the beginning of this video though. You can look it up. Sure, it is. Or it you is. can look it up, you Hope House, hopehousehealing.com. You can find it on there. So, yeah. yeah. I guess our first question, how is the principle of forgiveness addressed within the 12 step structure? So I do have a lot of experience, um, about 10 years of experience with 12-step fellowships, and they all stem from Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, I was surprised when I thought about this question. The principle of forgiveness is actually interwoven throughout all of the steps. It's it's even in step one, which is, and we admitted we were powerless over, you can just fill in the blank. You know, there's many different fellowships that end in the letter A, so <laughs> it can be anything. And for me, the word powerless um, can, can sound like helpless or hopeless, but it's not. It just means I don't, by myself, I don't have access to the power necessary to heal and transform myself. I need other people. And being able to see my addiction, whatever it is, as something I'm suffering from, like a cancer, you know, it's a disease of the mind, body, and spirit. And if I'm, you know, thinking of it in that way, um, powerless means autopilot. It, does, addiction or compulsive behaviors are actually uh, the flight part of fight flight. There's a threat response. So mm -hmm. when we're in fight or flight, our thinking part of the brain 
the prefrontal cortex is actually disconnected and we're not reasoning adults. We're trying to keep ourselves safe. So addictive compulsive behaviors are part of that, you know, autopilot to try to keep ourselves safe, to avoid feeling uncomfortable emotions and to deal with stressful situations. So step one, I can't solve that problem or do anything to change that with lasting change all by myself. The principle of forgiveness is woven in there because having compassion for myself that this is not a choice, this is a disease, and it's okay if I can't do that. I don't have to shame myself. I can allow some people who have been there and know how to apply the spiritual principles of the 12 steps, I can allow them to help me and th there's where forgiveness shows up. And in the second step, it's we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. The word is in, in English is sanity. In the Spanish version of the 12 steps, it's sano juicio, which means sane judgment, wise judgment. I like that better, to be honest. <laughs> you know, and and believing that God can help my prefrontal cortex turn back on. That's basically what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You know, outside of myself, I can't turn that back on by myself. Mm -hmm. You know, so I need access to God's power. And I need to access that in a different way. Because obviously what I've been trying to do isn't working for me. That's why I need the help with the 12 steps or with a coach or with a therapist. Or maybe all three or, you know, other ways of reaching out beyond myself for help. You know, I've been teaching this 12, 12 steps for oh, about 25 years. And when you mention step eight, I'll read it first. It says, made a list of persons who we harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. And that word amends uh, brought my back to the Bible where one fellow said, Lord, if I've done wrong, I'll pay back fourfold. So I, tell us about that. Right. Forgiveness, it takes the mending or the making amends. What does that mean to you, making amends? Thank you. So apologizing and asking for forgiveness, you know, that's that's great. But in active addiction, many of us have done that a lot and not changed. So people kind of don't believe us when we say, I'm sorry, or I'll, next time we'll be different, or I'll stop doing this. Because we're powerless, right? We can't. <laughs> we can't do that by ourselves. So once we've worked and applied the principles of the other steps where we have more access to the enabling power of Christ. I, my, my higher power is, is God Christ. And once I have access to that power, I can, t I've, I've taken a look at what's blocking me from connecting with God and I've asked for that to be removed. And then I'm ready to take a look at harm that I've caused. And once I've determined how my actions have impacted another person, then I'm ready to own what I've done and talk with them or maybe write a letter or, you know, if it's not possible to make a direct amend, there's a way to make an indirect amend to, to right the wrong, repair, restore, amend, fix. So like if I stole something, I can return it. Or if something was broken, it can be repaired or replaced. Or if something is lost, um, maybe I can look for it and help find it. So the, the principle of restitution is a really important part of the repentance process. Because if we don't recognize what harm we do, we've done and feel remorse for it and then try to to make things right, it's just empty apologizing and that that's actually not um, that's not part of the recovery process. Now, Doug, let me step in here for a moment. What about those things that 
you've broken emotionally. You know, you've mentioned stealing, you know, those are physical things. You, you can return the item, you can, you know, fix certain things. But what about those wounds that you, you can't fix? How do we mend that? Good question. Good question. Good, good question. And, you know, that, that points to some, some really important um, things to recognize, like stealing somebody's virginity, for example, because um, I'm really familiar with recovery from sex addiction. That can't be fixed in the way that we have the ability to fix, you know. So for those, sometimes uh, trust in a relationship is another example. Sometimes that can be rebuilt and sometimes it can't. So there's some certain things we can't make direct amends for. But as we continue our recovery process, we do want to put back positive energy into the world and, and try to um, set right some of the, the harm that we've caused in, in a certain way. So we can make indirect amends, like maybe donating to a cause that helps um, domestic violence, victims of domestic violence or um, other type of maybe helping somebody that reminds us of somebody that we have harmed. You know, if, if direct contact or direct amends will, you know, injure ourselves or others and it's not a great idea, you know, like I wouldn't want to tell somebody that I had an affair with their partner. That's just going to cause more problems, you know, or tell the partner, whatever. I, I wouldn't want to insert myself into a situation where it would cause more issues. So I, I need to find a way to um, set right as best I can clean up right, my side of the right. street. Cause the amend right. is not for the other person. The amend is to clean up my side of the street. Right. So I'm not right. carrying that, but ultimately it's God that removes that culpability, that, that guilt, you know, he's the one that can proclaim me clean. And it's through the, the power of the sacrifice of Christ, I believe that, that makes that possible for me to, to be cleansed of stuff like that. And it also heals the person that I have harmed too, if they let him. And I, I'm I'm guessing that when I have the attitude of trying to amend, that should change me. That that will affect my constitution, my ability. All that will affect that my whole way of life. When I'm trying to amend as best I can, people will see that. Will people see that and observe that in me? Yes, absolutely. And I also remember that the results are not in my control. You know, I've got to do what I can and do my part as guided by my my God and others that are kind of, I, I wouldn't recommend doing this process on one's own because our own thinking sometimes is, is not, um, it, it can be clouded. <laughs> we can have a motivation that isn't um, exactly um, <clears throat> ready for something like this. So working together with other people and, and really carefully planning how this amend process will happen. Definitely. It can, it can cause people to, to change. It can cause me to change. It can cause oh, my whole household started recovery when I started recovery. But again, the results are in God's hands and in God's timing. So if my goal is to try to make something happen. If I'm trying to make somebody forgive me or hear those words from somebody, my motivation isn't right hmm. for this process. And my you know, goal is just to do my part and to let God do his. You know, in, in my background in counseling, it's been about 800,000 hours professionally counseling. And the vast majority of issues that arose, it was both individuals who had a part in the process. Maybe one a little bit major and minor, but they both had a part to play in the, in, 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 in the disaster, so to speak. Is, do you find that in your counseling and in your uh, behaviors and activities? Yes. 
And um, I work with those whose lives have been affected by compulsive sexual behavior, as well as those whose sexual behavior is impacting theirs and other people's lives. And for those that see themselves as a victim, um, it may be hard to look at their part, what they contributed, because they say, I did nothing. I was just minding my own business. And then this happened, you know, um, but I'm not claiming that a person like, for example, that was molested. Right, had, right, oh, right, right. Yeah, that's a sure, different thing. sure, right. But for me, you know, I, I also was molested when I was a child and I didn't, I, I don't claim that as my fault, but my part was as an adult continuing to fear and hate men, continuing right, to right. hold resentment towards um, the things that happened in my life because of that, you know, some, some things were set in motion and some patterns developed that, that <laughs> caused a lot of pain and suffering for myself and other people and holding on to that and continuing those patterns. I do have to own responsibility. Once I got a chance mm -hmm. to look at clearly what was happening, then I have a choice, you know, then I'm no longer a victim. Right. Once I know right. this information, right. then I can reach out to others for tools and ideas of how to stop those patterns of behavior. And I can reach out to God for healing and for expanding and, and deepening my love for myself and others and, and connection with God. And that can change how I continue my patterns of belief and patterns of behavior that can just impact everything, every way that I see myself and interact with the world. Any questions for our director? Not at the moment, no, sir. So Deb, what you're saying is real forgiveness can free you give you boldness, help you to enjoy life. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. And sometimes forgiveness is not something that I have the ability to do. Sometimes forgiveness is something that is a gift from God, something that happens to me. My part is to become willing. And if I may, I, I might just share a little part of a story. Please, if you would, um, please. There's a woman named Corey Tenboom who was a Yes. Uh, World War II Holocaust right. survivor, yes. uh -huh. and right. she mm -hmm. and her father and her sister were in a concentration camp, and her mm -hmm. father and her sister, she watched them die, and right. there's some horrible things that happened, um, but once she was freed, she started to go around and talk, give, her, give presentations about forgiveness, and after one such talk, she found herself face to face with mm -hmm. one of her former guards. Right. And he said he'd become a Christian and he extended his hand for a handshake and asked her for her forgiveness. Wow. And she froze. I mean, I can put myself in that moment of, oh, wow. yeah. how difficult would that be? And, you know, in, in her words, she said, forgiveness is not an act of the will. It's not an, it is an act of the will. I'm sorry. It's an act of the will, not an emotion. She, she knew that shaking hands with one of the most vicious guards mm. at Ravensbrook who had women my. as they showered, my. that was one of the most difficult things she'd ever been asked to do. But she also knew God wanted her to do that. Mm. And so she said, she prayed, she said, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. Mm. And when that happened, she she thrust out her hand and in her words she said as I did an incredible thing took place a current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm sprang into our joined hands and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being wow. bringing tears to my eyes I forgive you brother I cried with all my heart oh. you know 
I relate to that because I sometimes can't, don't have it in me to be able to forgive something that's been really, really terrible. But it's not, forgiveness isn't mine. It's a gift from God. So if I become willing to let forgiveness flow through me, then that healing can help both of us. My, my. Questions from the director? Okay. From the director? Yes, sir. Mrs. The 313 asks, do you have to forgive? Do you have to forgive the person that hurt you? Good question. Good question. You know, for me, there's no have tos. If I want to continue blocking myself from connecting more fully with God or connecting with other people, I can. It's a choice, you know. But um, for me, forgiveness, again, is not about the other person. It's for me. And forgiveness doesn't mean that I make everything okay, what was done to me. Sometimes legal action needs to happen. There needs to be accountability, you know, for, for certain things. But what forgiveness is for me is letting go of what I'm holding against them. I'm kind of taking them off the hook, so to speak. I'm letting them down off of what I am holding against them. And I'm not, I'm not keeping that anymore. That doesn't mean I have to be in contact with the person or be best friends with them. That, 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 you know, it doesn't have to mean anything else except for I'm just freeing myself from that burden that I'm carrying or asking God to help me free. <laughs> because sometimes, like I said, I need help in, in freeing, being freed from that. Friends, this is wounded hearts, wounded churches. If you've been wounded, leaving the church, in the church, whatever, we want to be a source of love for you that you can be reconnected. God can heal those wounds. This is Deb Wonderly tonight to talk to us about these issues. So stay tuned. Uh, we want to do what we can to be a support system. Deb, uh, so my question to you is, healing and forgiveness, are those connected? Can I have one without the other? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think... For me, forgiveness has been incremental. As I mentioned, the, the first step, admitting that I have a problem and, and accepting help, meant that I was f forgiving myself, for, forgiving myself, freeing myself from the shame of, if only I were strong enough or, you know, whatever, enough, then I could handle this, you know, forgiving myself for having a disease that I did not cause. You know, so that's one increment of healing. And then as I go through the other steps, coming to believe that a power outside of or greater than myself, who I call God, can restore me to spiritual health or wise judgment. And then making a decision to turn my will and my life over to God's care. Step three, yeah. It, it is step three. Yeah. And, and that, my again, favorite. is incremental healing, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's letting go of control. My... I have a lot of different controlling behaviors, <laughs> you know, because I'm, uh, there's a lot of fear there that my needs won't get met if I don't fix, manage and control everybody, you know, and allowing myself to, um, allowing myself to ask for God's help in transforming some of those character strengths, <laughs> which have been twisted into what people call defects. I call them default mm -hmm. patterns of behavior and belief. Like for example, um, being bossy and controlling, that's one of my favorite defects. Um, <laughs> and it's not something that I want, you know, to rule my life, but, but doing an inventory, which is step four, taking a look at, oh yeah, there's many situations. I can give examples of times that I've tried to take control and manipulate and make things happen. And that doesn't, that doesn't serve me. And that doesn't help 
the situations. So, you know, step five is to share what I'm discovering in my inventory with, uh, admit it to myself and to God and to another person. Step six is to become willing to have that changed. And step seven is to humbly ask God to have that removed. Right, person to fix form. the character sign. Mm-hmm. Yep, now, we, we, we have, friends, if you've got questions, now that we've got about six minutes, if you have questions, please call in or chime in. Talk, let's talk about this trauma. We might think we see trauma maybe in a car accident, being a paraplegian, uh, maybe a divorce. But there are other traumas in life that we come in contact with quite regularly. Am I right? Yes. And, you know, I was listening to a podcast from Bessel van der Kolk, the writer of The Body Keeps the Score and, and um, one of the leaders in the world of trauma recovery and um, just information about trauma. And he said something really interesting. He said, it's not the event. It's the residue. It's what happens. What's what we the, the after effects that so the after effects can many times be worse than the trauma itself. Absolutely. Yes. So it can be anxiety. It can be depression. It can be physiological. A lot of um, like Bless. inflammation in the body can be traced back to trauma. It can be, you know, all kinds of symptoms and, and issues and challenges. So healing the trauma for, from, for a lot of us, it's, it's stuck in our brain. The thing that happened and the impact is stuck in a part of our brain that thinks it's still happening. Even though, you know, as a rational adult, I know that I'm safe and I have choices, but when that button gets pushed or when something happens that triggers those emotions, I go back into that fight or flight that I was talking about where I'm no longer thinking like an adult and the symptoms of the trauma show up. For me, sometimes I lose the ability to speak which shows me that something has been tripped that's pre-verbal, very early childhood. And so when I recognize that I'm going into that space, I have just a little bit of time where I can do something to get back in my body, to get my, my body back online, to remember that I'm in the present and that I have the ability to communicate and I have power and choices that I did not have at that time. Even if I can't remember what it was, you know, my body is still back in that reaction. And so I need to, to have help sometimes in learning how to deal with that when that happens and catch it so that I can get myself back regulated and back in the present. And so Deb, I'm guessing, let's say if my pastor backslid and left the church, that would cause trauma. A person backsliding would cause trauma. Mm-hmm. A church split would cause trauma. So all these things can cause actual trauma to the mind and heart. Am I right or wrong? Absolutely. If I trust somebody and I look up to them and then they fall from that pedestal, that can shake my whole paradigm and in and it could cause me to lose faith and it could cause me to ask a lot of questions and, and just wonder where I am in the world, you know, cause me to lose my footing with spirituality. Yeah, it could have a lot of impact. I would call I would call that trauma. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, statistics indicate two years ago, 38% of ministers, women and men, had inappropriate contact with someone in the church. 30, 38% uh, before COVID, between 80 and 100 ministers would sit down every Sunday giving up their posts. Pre-COVID, statistics say quite clearly about 8,000 churches close up every year. And I'm sure that causes trauma. So, Deb, what can a person do if they've been traumatized? Well, we can't heal from it by ourselves. 
we one of the number one needs for somebody who has had an experience that has caused a negative impact is to be seen and heard. So we need to have safe people Amen. that we can share our story Amen. with and get it out and have it be witnessed. And sometimes that's all that's needed, but sometimes there's more that's needed. Right. We might need to work with the symptoms that are coming up. We Some people might need medication. Some people might need trauma therapy. Some people might just need um, like exercises to, to stimulate the vagus nerve to calm themselves down and, and, you know, get back into their bodies and get back grounded and centered. There's a lot of different things that, you know, are available now. There's a lot more understanding and a lot more tools that are available than there used to be. And the first thing you mentioned is we got to talk about it, don't we? We have to discuss it. It's got to be talked about, discussed first, right? And with safe people, because sometimes if we tell somebody that isn't understanding or capable of holding space for something big, it can re-traumatize us or add to the trauma. And that's common. Friends, our time is gone again. We're going to have to have Deb back talk about her program that she's involved with. Wounded Hearts, Wounded Churches, Thursday at 7. We're reaching out to you. This is Church of God for Church of God people. Those who've been wounded and hurt, there is hope. We come to you through different areas. We want to push and promote, and that's forgiveness, healing, reconciliation. These things work together to give us a more meaningful life in serving God. They have wonderfully, a wonderful job, as always, to our staff. Thank you so much. To our viewers, glad you tuned in tonight. May the Lord bless you.